of special guest. We'll start off with a superintendent of schools, uh, Dr. Matt Hillman. Matt, thank you so much for coming in today. It's great to see you, Jeff. Thanks for having us again. And you brought a guest today. I did. So I'm really uh, happy to share that uh, Alicia Clary, who is one of our instructional coaches in the district, uh, we have three instructional coaches in our school district that help our instructional services department do all of the curriculum planning and assessment uh, training uh, throughout the entire school system. It's very common for school districts to have, you know, maybe even one of uh, these kinds of positions per building. We've centralized our instructional coaching positions so that we can model our strategic commitment to stewardship so that our district level instructional coaches can help every building and uh, they become experts in certain areas. And that's what we're here to talk with Alicia about today. All right. Well, Alicia, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. Uh, what will you start off by? Just tell us a little bit about yourself. You've been here for a few years now. Yes, this is my seventh year in the district. And I'm going to have you move a little closer to that microphone. All right. There we are. Perfect. This is my seventh year in the district, and I'm happy to say I am recently a local letters facilitator. So um, we are starting that um, with this year. Now, is, is that, I guess you're not really a teacher, but you're... You're a teacher's teacher, sort of. Exactly, yes. Yes, I'm an instructional coach. So um, in that role, I get the opportunity to um, help teachers implement curriculum. And as a local letters facilitator, I get the opportunity to teach the teachers how the brain learns to read and how we can implement that in the district. All right. And Matt, why why don't you help us out a little bit here? You're very familiar with this. Uh, It sounds like... um, I guess we could start off by saying, you know, why this is important, yeah. Uh, yeah, the training, uh, uh, the, the teachers and such. Uh, kind of elaborate on that a little bit. Absolutely. First, we always come back, Jeff, and start with our school district vision because that's always the important way to frame uh, any of the things that we do in our school district. So our vision is to prepare every student, not some students, not those students, not these students, every student for lifelong success by developing critical thinkers who are curious and ready to engage in our society. And I think that we know that... Uh, reading is one of those ways that you can manifest that, that if you're curious and you are a skilled reader, you are able to learn a lot of stuff. And in our in every school district, they talk about grades pre-K through three being the opportunity to learn to read, and then fourth grade and older being reading to learn. And so this uh, goes to a few of our district strategic commitments. So we are committed to learner outcomes. People send their kids to school. They expect them to learn stuff, right? And reading is one of those really important pieces. Equity, again, making sure that every student has a genuinely fair chance to pursue their version of the American dream. And we know that those people who are strong readers have that ability to be whatever they want to be. They can learn on their own. They can explore new worlds. They can explore other practices and hobbies and things for their job. So when it comes to equity, reading is really uh, the social justice issue of our age. And then you're going to hear throughout this uh, discussion about the partnerships here in Northfield that really allow us to have an entire community come together to do this important work. And so reading is a skill that is also stewardship. It has a tremendous return on our investment, and it's one of the 11 district benchmarks that we adopted. So we are committed to making sure that every student is able to read at grade level by the end of third and sixth grade. Now, we don't pretend that they're not reading at grade level at those other uh, grades, but what we know from research is especially at the end of third grade, If a student is secure in their reading skills at the end of third grade, what research tells us is that they have a solid pathway to success from there on. And so Northfield Schools has been working on improving our reading instruction since around 2016. We moved to a more consistent reading approach around that time, and we adopted 
uh, some curriculum from the Center for the Collaborative Classroom right around 2018. That involved a tremendous amount of training for teachers, and it was rooted in this science of reading that if you are paying attention you know, to news outlets, you've seen some podcasts about it, and we've really learned a lot about how the brain unlocks that gift of reading. And so Alicia is our one of our experts. We believe in a train-the-trainer model because then we have a local expert and we don't have to go out and pay other people to come train us. So it's a really good deal for our taxpayers because we're making the best use of our funds and getting the most return on that investment. So Alicia, would you just tell our listeners today, what is the science of reading and why should I care about it? Yes. The science of reading is a term that refers to five decades of research about how we learn to read and how reading is effectively taught. So what it, what Alicia is saying is that we have continued to learn. Like all Jeff, think about this radio station and think about the way that you ran things here 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Have they changed? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's changed quite a bit. And I think anyone time. who's a business owner or anyone in their job, if they think about their practice and what they do, while their values are probably same, your, your value here is to make sure local listeners are informed and engaged in, in our community, that value has not changed, but the tools that you use it in your reach is so much more than it was 10 years ago, whether that was adding the FM station, adding the, the uh, audio streaming, adding the video streaming. Every business person listening or everyone at home can understand, oh, yeah, things are a little bit different than they were before. So what Alicia just described is the schools continue to use the latest science to do our best work with kids. And so, Alicia, why is it so important for uh for why is teaching reading one of the most essential things that we do in a school district and why does it matter for kids? Yeah, like you said earlier, teaching the foundational reading skills really unlocks the whole world for them. Um, and it all begins with oral language, you know, and they build on that oral language. And once we understand the, the structure of how a child learns to read, it builds on itself. So the letters program lets us um, start strong for them. Um, Pre-K through two, you know, third grade and up is we understand that they start by hearing sounds and they connect those to letters and then they put those letters together and pretty soon that becomes prefixes and suffixes and the world just takes on new meaning once you can understand a word that deeply. So let's yeah. tell people what we are uh, a system of acronyms, right? So tell us what LETTERS stands for. Yes. LETTERS stands for Language Essentials for Teachers of Reading and Spelling. It's about 144 hours to complete the course over two years. So think about that. I mean, 144 hours. Jeff, when you took a graduate course, when you took a, a, a course in college, mm -hmm. a typical course is around 30 hours of instruction. So this course is really the equivalent of more than four course college courses that are over 60 educators. This includes teachers. It includes some administrators are all participating in um, because they want to improve their craft. So this is not, you know, I'm attending a webinar, which webinars are good too, but this mm -hmm. is not I'm attending a webinar and now I know 17 new things. This is really deep training. So would you talk a little bit about those modules and the training, Alicia? Yes. So teachers will participate in online coursework where they are watching practice in a classroom through videos, um, through interactive models, and they're taking online quizzes and tests. Um, that we, um, you know, we want 80% or higher for that. Then for every unit, there's eight units total. For every unit, they attend six hours of live in-person training um, within those units. And at that time, they're doing bridge-to-practice activities where they are um, taking what they've learned in letters and di um, directly um, taking it to their classroom. So this is an example, Jeff, of where people are getting some new skills, 
and then they are actually implementing them right away. One of the challenges that we know, I, I learned this last week when I attended a Science of Reading a seminar at the University of Minnesota with uh, Dr. Katie Bickell, who was the leader of the of the panel, and New York Times reporter uh, Emily Hanford, who has really gotten a lot of uh, mileage out of a podcast that she did about the science of reading. They talked about it takes 17 years for educational research to manifest itself to become present in the classroom. 17 years. That's more, far more than what a kindergartner today. So research that we're learning today, those kids will be seniors in college by the time we adopt some of the latest research. So this is an effort to expedite that, right? Not, not too quickly. We're not, we're not using proven methods. But to be able to take this research and be able to apply it more quickly. So it is not, you know, maybe I'll use this next year. These folks, these 60 people are committed to taking this training and applying it today. And go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, you know, we had... Uh when they were going through the training process, we have you brought one of the teachers on at that time. And what impressed me about that, my takeaway was, uh, I, I don't know how they're going to teach the kids, and I'm presuming it's going to be well, but the energy and enthusiasm that it generated within the teaching staff uh, was just, boy, if I had a teacher that was that energetic and enthused about teaching, uh, I, <laughs> I probably wouldn't be sitting here now. I'd be sitting in a uh, more expensive chair somewhere. <laughs> well, I think you've got a nice chair as well, it is, Jeff. Nice but, right? So, Alicia, why don't you talk a little bit about that, that energy level that this renewal, this new training brings to our teaching staff? Yeah, the amount of professionalism in our district is just astounding. Um, to see everybody excited, to understand that if you have um, a system of skills and you teach them explicitly, all but a small percentage of kids can learn, I think really um, gets us excited to get into the classroom and to teach these skills to mastery and watch the children grow. And what's, so let's let's talk about the practical impact. I mean, we, we talk in, in some technical language about that they're able to access curriculum, you know, things like that. You know, let's discuss when you see, Alicia taught elementary school for a number of years at Greenvale Park, a couple of different grade levels, fourth grade. And so would you talk from a teacher's perspective about the difference that you see when in a student's ability to actually be responsible for some of their own learning when they have mastered that early reading skill? So when you think about your work as an elementary teacher, the, the difference that having that skill being secure, that I'm able to do it and I'm confident, what, what kind of difference did you see in children? Yeah, I think the confidence is the first thing that you notice when they're when they're reading a passage and they're looking at the word and they're they're searching for that meaning within the word instead of just kind of sounding it out, um, you know, letter by letter. Once they get to that point, then they're truly reading for meaning, and that's when you have the discussions and that's when you have um, all of that deep learning um, in that way. But as the children are learning, um, they like to they like to practice what they're what they know, right? It gives them confidence to know that I was taught this skill explicitly and now I'm going to practice it and it's going to keep coming up and I'm going to keep building on this skill set and just to watch them they know when they're you know reading longer passages they know when they're understanding what they're reading and I think it it just makes for a and really, they're proud they're very proud and I think that's something that's really important for listeners to hear young children are proud of their accomplishments and sometimes we take some things for granted that we really need to reinforce with kids so if you have a kid on your block who is telling you about all the stuff that they have read and how excited they are about it. I think a lot of adults say, yeah, that's cool, right? But if you can take a minute to positive, wow, I'm really proud of how well you are able to read. You learned a lot. You must have read that somewhere. Kids are proud. And we. I think sometimes when we talk about all of the higher level policy around education, we sometimes forget 
that the pride that a young person has when they're able to master any skill, but reading is the skill that can unlock all of the other skills. And the expectation for how much or what the skill level that a student has in reading is far different than when you and I went to school, Jeff, right? Mm -hmm. The expectation for a student to be able to master by third grade is not what it was uh, 20 years ago or 25 years ago. It's, there's a higher level of expectation. And so I, I think that the purpose of this discussion is that every child needs to be able to read. And I want to just address something head on. For listeners who uh, listen to this debate, sometimes over the – it's been a debate for my entire 28-year career in education. Sometimes people call them the reading wars, right, to get a little bit of excitement and for people to tune in. So there's this chicken or egg discussion, right, around, well, if we are too rigid or too technical in how we teach children to read, as Alicia was talking about, explicit phoneme segmentation, so sounding out or decoding a word, right, like we would have seen on Sesame Street, you know, years ago for those of us of a certain age. There's a concern that, well, that's going to damage a, a child's love of reading, and there's then this discussion back and forth where some folks really imagine that reading just ha teaching uh, learning to read just happens magically by curling up by the fire with a cup of hot chocolate and that is just not the way it works i mean there are some brains that are and the circumstances are such that the formula comes together more quickly than others but what i can assure you is i've never met a student who can't read who loves to read and so we have to take that first step to make sure that the students have the formula, that they're able to make those connections to be able to read effectively. Now, some people are going to only read for their job, right? Some people will read for pleasure. Um, all those things, and, and you can like reading in a lot of different ways, but the critical thing for us as educators is making sure that kids are able to read. Then, once they're able to read, it typically is about the content, right? So if a student is, you know, once they're able to read, it's about I love reading a mystery, or I love reading a history, or I love reading about animals. Th th when those two things come together, that's where we really see acceleration. But we know for sure, if you don't have the ability to read, if you don't have the skills to decode and do those things, that comprehension won't come. And so I, we just want to address that head on, because I understand in some circles that's still a debate. That debate is over here. We are going to make sure that students know how to read, and then they will love to read what they want. You know, a couple of questions regarding, I guess, the techniques. The children, teaching children to read is just kind of a big general phrase. But if you look at that, uh, you have children, uh, different abilities, uh, different levels of comprehension, and different ages. You know, a first grader would be different than a sixth grader, I would imagine. Do the same principles apply? Do you use different techniques to reach different children? Yeah, I think that um, all children learn to read the same way, right? They mm -hmm. start with hearing the sounds, and then we connect those sounds to the letters, and we build on that. And there's a scope and sequence for that. So different children will enter in at different places. Mm -hmm. You know, different children will need more repetitions in a certain place. But we do believe that all but a small percentage can learn to read. All right. That's good to know. And I think as we go to the last part here, as I'm, I know Tim McNiff is coming on fairly soon. <laughs> we got uh, a few minutes. <laughs> but I think it's important to talk about that the school can't do this alone, right? This is a community effort. So we've had some great community partners. Our Rotary Club has a literacy uh, committee, and you'll see in some uh, businesses within the community, they have, uh, you know, uh, libraries that, you know, students can and kids can grab books from. I mean, there's one at the veterinarian, there's others all throughout. There's book drop locations that the Rotary Club has throughout the community. We might have more little free libraries per capita than any place in the country. <laughs> As I look across the street at the gorgeous Carnegie Library, 
Natalie Draper is an amazing public library director, and her team's effort to partner with us so that we are really encompassing students, whether they're in school, out of school, that partnership is amazing. Uh, Natalie is a keeper. She's one of my favorite KYMN radio guests because she brings visual aids she to a does. radio show. Um, <laughs> the partnership with the library is amazing. The partnership with the Healthy Community Initiative, they have funded an additional 10 slots for our teachers to be able to get this training because there's a cost for the training. Now, we're able to defer some of that cost with Alicia as the local trainer, but these are also professionals who deserve compensation when they are doing this work outside of their regular school day. And so we are paying a stipend for when a teacher completes a module. It's not beforehand. It's after you complete a module, you're able to secure a stipend. We've used a tremendous amount of our COVID funding specific to this kind of professional development as, as to fund these items. And we have a plan to continue funding them in the future. But HCI is stepping up to help us uh, be able to fund 10 teachers, 12. 12. Yeah. All right. So 12 mm -hmm. more teachers. Yeah. That's so those partnerships are essential. And here's some results, Jeff, as we look across from our fall predictor. So we, we use a lot of data, our fall prediction score um, to meet or exceed on the state test. State test isn't everything, but it is an important measure that we use in every grade level. K eight, we saw that meets or exceeds predictor increase and in many grades, substantially. So I'm going to give you an example. Um, in grade three, at the beginning of the year, our third graders had 28.4% uh, of them were predicted to meet or exceed, right? This is the real um, uh, issue from the pandemic, right? So grade three, an important bellwether grade. Many teachers in grade three working on training, uh, letters training. In the winter, just a few weeks ago, almost 60% of those students are predicted to meet or exceed. When we look at grade four, it went from 30% to 55%. We look at grade five, it went from 30% to 55%. So kids are resilient. They are starting to come back after the disruption of the pandemic, even though we were in school every single day last year, right? We didn't miss one day last year because of COVID. The, the societal impact of the pandemic is real. But we can see here when we see this kind of training this practice and this theory coming together, it can make magic for people. We can't do that alone. We do it with great professionals like Alicia, who the community should be very proud of. We do it with an amazingly talented teaching staff and a partnership with the community that is unparalleled. And so this is essential. And we are our goal is that every student will read well by the end of third grade. And as you know, Jeff, we're a little tenacious. And <laughs> now we understand there's a few students because of a certain disability the, the, the percentage may never be 100%. We understand that because there are certain students who they're going to unlock that skill a year, two years later because of the way that their brain works uh, to learn to read. But we know that far more than 80% of students should be able to get there. And we are not going to stop until we have that because we know it's such a, it's a lifelong gift that we're giving students. You, you mentioned the community partnerships, but really the biggest partner in all this is uh, the kids' parents. Um, do you find, uh, are there ways to 
I don't know if instruct the parents, but uh, are the parents aware of some some of the new uh, techniques and teaching uh, principles that you're using right now? And can they kind of help the child along when they get home? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things, if you're going to sit down and read with your child, which of course is a wonderful thing, mm-hmm. is to help them not be guessing at words, to help them to sound them out, you know, letter by letter, if they're at that stage. Another thing that um, parents can do is understand the importance of language, having a conversation with a child, listening to music with a child, you know, poems, talking, any that is so deeply important for children. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as far as the future of, uh, you know, reading education or educating our, our children and teaching them to read, you mentioned 17 years it takes. Some of the things you're working on now may take 17 years. Uh, you know, just from uh, the insider's point of view, are you seeing some of those things and are there still even more exciting new things coming along? So I think what we see with educational research is we see what what I what well I don't call this but Doug Johnson a longtime technology director in the state called pockets of wow. And so we will see places implement early research. They are testing it, they're getting the results, then they are reporting out. So that 17 years is from the time that the research begins to the time that it's widely adopted. So we are starting to see some of the things we're working right now. In addition on, on reading, we're also looking at our mathematics curriculum and what is the best way for us to, to be able to teach math mathematics so that every child really feels like they're a mathematician. That's a topic for another time, Jeff. But All right. We'll, we'll take you up on that. I know you will. <laughs> we're just about out of time, but any final thoughts on this from either one of you? I, I think the other piece for people who are listening, if you want to make a difference, you know, we do need volunteers. And so uh, we we need volunteers to come and help with small reading groups. We will give you some um, some some a modest training. So if you have that interest, you can look at any of our elementary school websites, and there's a volunteer section of that webpage, and you could come help a kid learn to read. Well, uh, Matt, Alicia, thank you so much for coming in today. It's much appreciated, and thank you for your work within the school districts and educating our young. Yes, thank you. You're listening to 95.1 FM and AM 1080, KYMN Northfield. Coming up in uh, just a moment or so, Tim McNiff, news with a side of sports. That's just a couple of minutes off. The latest from around the state is next. This news update is brought to you by Northfield Retirement Community. Rooted in Christian values, Northfield Retirement Community supports independence, dignity, and quality of life for the aging by providing innovative living options and services. At Northfield Retirement Community, making a difference in the lives of